You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Transit police releasing surveillance video of a shocking assault on a SkyTrain platform. A woman violently shoved to the ground and there are clear images of the suspect they'd like to speak to. Jeff Hastings is in New Westminster where this happened and Jeff, it all unfolded on camera. That's right, Sophie. Transit police have released surveillance video of the attack as well as some very clear photos of the suspect. Let's start off with the attack that took place April 6th, just before 11 a.m. on Platform 1, right above us here at the New Westminster SkyTrain station. A train was pulled up. It was just about to pull out. The doors were closing. You see a woman run into frame, uh, bumping, brushing against a man as she goes past. She doesn't quite make the train. She then turns around and has an exchange of words with the man who goes around the corner they're talking some more and then the man hurls his coffee at her on her back. She goes towards him and he shoves her and she falls backwards and hits her head on the ground quite obviously and witnesses rush in to help. I really think this was one of those random acts. Suspect is described as a white male, mid-30s, approximately six feet tall, a medium build, short black hair and possibly blue eyes. He was wearing a black hoodie with white designs on the pocket area. Now, the woman, 42 years old, was taken to New Westminster Hospital. She was treated for uh, some minor neck and back injuries, some bruising. She's quite upset, apparently, but she is going to recover. Transit police are hoping that anybody who sees the video we just showed you will recognize the suspect, will have any information they're willing to share with them. They can contact the Transit Police tip line 604-516-7419, or you can text 877-7777. Sophie? Jeff Hastings in New Westminster for us. Jeff, thank you. Complicated with significant challenges. That's how the judge presiding over the Jonathan Bacon murder trial described the case today. Shocking new surveillance video of the very public execution in Kelowna in 2011 was released yesterday when the trio accused took a plea deal. Ramina Dea now with more on their sentences and reaction. Three gunmen unleash a rampage of more than 40 rounds with semi-automatic rifles outside one of Kelowna's most popular hotels in the height of tourism season seven years ago. The men responsible now pleading guilty. Today's conviction and sentencing is an important milestone. Notorious gangster Red Scorpion boss Jonathan Bacon was killed. Four others wounded. The shooter, Jason McBride, given a life sentence for second-degree murder with no chance of parole for 18 years. Getaway driver Michael Jones and suspected shooter Jukar Kunkun each sentenced to 18 years in jail for conspiracy to commit murder. We've involved several hundred police officers uh, throughout the uh, duration of this investigation at a cost of just over $9 million. All three accused were initially charged with first-degree degree murder. So what happened? Crown and defense struck a deal, paving the way for all three gangsters to plead guilty to lesser charges. The resolution that we have today reflects the frailties of the evidence and reflects ongoing concerns uh, with respect to the, uh, the delay in the trial. Frailties including credibility issues with some witnesses who were previous associates of the accused. From a police perspective, are you disappointed though? The police have no opinion on, on the outcomes. We, we've done our job. We've, we've done the best that we can as far as giving the evidence to the BC Prosecution Service. And then it is really up to them to decide on how to best proceed. One thing all sides are likely content with, the fact the plea deal means the guilty verdicts can't be appealed. 
Romina Dea, Global News. Charges have now been laid in connection with a Delta crime spree this week that saw members of the public making a citizen's arrest. Forty-seven-year-old Surrey resident Michael John Krowitz was initially apprehended by a group of Good Samaritans. He is facing a dozen charges that include robbery, assault, and dangerous driving. And while police appreciate the intent of the citizen crime stoppers, they point out those actions can be dangerous and are better left to trained professionals. Changes are coming that could affect your dining and bar hopping experience in Vancouver's Granville Entertainment District. Grace Key is live on the Strip tonight with the details. And Grace, the city and bar owners are hoping these tweaks are going to improve the fun factor down there. Yeah, certainly there are some concerns when it comes to some alcohol-related problems here on the Granville Strip. And while many agree this is a great start, still more needs to be done. Changes are on the way to tackle the alcohol-related problems and public disorder along the Granville Entertainment District. The City of Vancouver has adopted several liquor policy recommendations. Vancouver will soon be the first city in the province to require restaurants, bars, theatres and stadiums to show drink size and percentage of alcohol on menus, hoping people will make better decisions. And a pint of fat tug is three drinks. Most people don't understand that, and I think we have to do a lot more education. BC as a whole has a let's drink till we fall down culture. A moratorium on new patios at bars and clubs has been lifted. There are 22 patios along the Granville Strip, and they were found to create a more vibrant streetscape. The city will also be scrapping the last entry pilot program. It prevented restaurants and bars from serving new customers an hour before closing. But owners said it hurt their bottom line. We think, you know, that obviously, um, as a representative of the industry, would um, would negatively impact um, the nighttime economy in Vancouver and specifically in the Granville Entertainment District. And, you know, it, it's been proven in other cities like Sydney that has decimated the industry. The recommendation also calls for a continued push for late-night transit service, and most consider transportation and diversity key in solving some of the problems downtown. But overall, we need a good mixture. Again, putting uh, uh, the sidewalks and having engagement on the sidewalks through patios, as well as live entertainment on a regular basis on the street, I think will solve a lot of the problems that we're having with Granville Street. Well, Grace, the city's also looking into a position known as a night mayor, something they've tried in Amsterdam. It's worked there. Could it happen here soon, too? Yeah, the nightmare is actually in uh, town right now, speaking with city officials. So there was an amendment made that would take a look at this position and whether or not they can have it here. So this person essentially acts as a liaison between the city and businesses. So again, it's something that the city's going to be taking a look at. Chris? All right, we'll see what happens. Thanks, Grace. Government data that's never before been made public is painting a very different picture of how clean Canada's oil refining industry is compared to the U.S. The data, obtained exclusively by Global News in partnership with the Toronto Star and National Observer, shows the majority of Canadian refineries emitted more sulfur dioxide, nitrogen oxides and carbon monoxides in 2014 than the U.S. average. In fact, Canadian refineries emitted so much sulfur dioxide that 15 plants in Canada polluted 62% more of it in 2014 than 127 refineries in the U.S. combined. 
The federal government has been aware of the gap between us and the U.S. for more than 15 years and discussed imposing a cap on emissions. But despite two working groups, that's never happened. The delays are with senior management and with the political level in terms of what they see as the priority of the day. Someone has to tell them it's a priority now. It's like, yeah, do it. (laughs) Well, the Canadian Fuels Association, which represents the refining industry, points out that all of its facilities are in compliance with current laws and regulations and that many key pollutants have decreased by up to 50% over the past 15 years. And while the refineries may be playing by the rules, critics will tell you those rules haven't been reviewed in more than two decades. Ted Chernecki has more on the concern in our own backyard and how having no standard for air quality is likely exacerbating the problem. North Vancouver residents who overlook the Parkland refinery have always wondered just what particulates are spewing into the atmosphere. The Tsleil-Waututh Nation has been asking for years. Finally, Metro Vancouver offered to position a mobile air monitoring station here, acknowledging that the city's other air quality centers don't cover this area well. We do know that there are people, a number of people on reserve who have respiratory problems. And Perhaps the refinery contributes? We don't know. While Parkland Fuel Limited did not return our calls, data obtained by Global News shows that in 2014, this refinery, then owned by Chevron, emitted nine times as much sulfur dioxide as did the Cherry Point refinery in northern Washington state. Anybody with any sort of constrictive lung disease, such as asthma or COPD, is going to respond. The data from this mobile monitoring station is not yet available, but Metro Vancouver says, in general, the Parkland refinery is compliant. The levels that we measure at our stations are generally in compliance with our objectives and standards. Uh, Certainly, uh, we're always looking to improve air quality. Compliant, yes, but Canadian refineries are still big polluters, and that's why the David Suzuki Foundation is urging Ottawa to establish a national air quality standard. It seems like across the board, uh, our industry is not as well regulated as other parts of the world. And we know that Canada is the only Western country that doesn't have national binding air quality standards. Today, the Parkland Fuel Corporation announced a record first quarter of $153 million, a 119% increase from the same quarter last year. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Meantime, when it comes to Kinder Morgan, there seems to be a lot more support in B.C. than some may think. And Keith Baldry joins us now with the results of a new poll. Keith. Yeah, a new Ipsos poll commissioned by Global News, uh, Chris, I think, uh, points to what appears to be a silent majority in B.C. You hear a lot about protests and demonstrations about Kinder Morgan, but a majority, again, evidence that a majority supports that pipeline. Here are the numbers from Ipsos, the latest poll. 55% of British Columbians support the expansion project, building that uh, new pipeline. Uh, Of that, 30% have fairly strong views. 37% oppose it, but only 17% consider themselves to be firmly in opposition to it. How does the breakdown reach? Well, 50, actually more support in Metro Vancouver. A bit of a surprise. That's where the terminal is. 57% there and the interior as well. Lowest uh, support is on Vancouver Island, 48%. But that's still more than the opposition that exists on Vancouver Island. In terms of a political breakdown, no surprise. The BC Liberals strongly in favour at 82%. And of those, though, who consider themselves to be NDP voters, almost half, 42%, support the pipeline. And in terms of John Horgan's numbers, he seems to be offside in public opinion. He 48% don't like 
the, the job he's doing handling this issue, but 39% think he's doing just fine. It's unclear, of course, uh, what role, if any, public opinion will pay, pay on the ultimate decision by Kinder Morgan whether to go ahead on May 31st. That's the ticking deadline for the drop dead date. Chris? All right, we've got it on the calendar. Thanks a lot, Keith. Right now, those Surrey residents are being given a peek into the future, but not everyone's happy with it. The city has unveiled what the new light rail cars could look like. It's a $1.65 billion project. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, critics feel they've chosen the wrong technology. The next station is King George. Rapid transit in Surrey, going to look a whole lot different than it does for the rest of the region. Low-floor cars with drivers running at street level. After decades of hand-wringing, the plan and the money are finally in place. And according to students south of the Fraser, it's about time for an alternative way to school. Currently, only 60% of KPU students use the UPASS program because students south of the Fraser don't have the same level of access to transit. The debate about rapid transit expansion in Surrey began the day the old Expo line stopped at King George Station, with the rest of the valley so tantalizingly close. But not a single meter of new track has been built here since 1994. It's not SkyTrain that will bridge the gap. LRT is the technology of choice. Cheaper, and according to the mayor, more in line with what Surrey is looking for. It will shift the way we interact with our city, transforming our streetscapes in the public realm into more pedestrian-oriented places. There is still a vocal group that wants to see SkyTrain extended. The technology is more expensive, but the argument is that it provides value for money. You're getting a street-level system. It's prone to delays, blockages, and collisions. It will deliver fewer travel time benefits because it will have to run at the same speed as the rest of traffic. I hope their pockets are deep. We don't have the funding for that from any level of government. This particular LRT car, not what is going to be running on the streets between Newton, Wally, and Guilford. But it will be something like this. After consultation and procurement, LRT should be a reality by the middle of the next decade. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Thousands of Syrian refugees arrived in Canada two years ago, escaping the chaos of civil war there. But the transition hasn't been easy for all of them. As Linda Aylesworth reports, while most have settled in well, many continue to face challenges. Fifteen days after arriving in Vancouver, Syrian refugee Majda Hamdo landed a job as a chef at Taibe. So Taibe is a social enterprise that aims to provide newly arrived Syrian women chefs with an opportunity to generate an income and further integrate into their new homes in Canada. She's fortunate because it isn't easy finding employment in Canada when you don't speak the language. But she's learning. She says, I'm, I'm shy, I'm too embarrassed to speak because I don't want to make mistakes. But when she does speak, I know she's very good. According to a survey of 241 new Syrian households by the Immigrant Services Society of B.C., 87% in this province report their language skills have improved. 
but the uh, attendance in the federal language classes has dipped um, for reasons associated with the lack of daycare. Even so, 46% of respondents said they have paid employment, 27% full-time jobs. As a result, food bank usage is down 10%. It would seem most are fitting in nicely. Two-thirds of respondents have made non-Syrian friends. 65% know their immediate neighbors. My neighbor, she's Canadian. If, even if she knows that there's like a gathering for Syrians or a party or something, she'll knock on my door and tell me about it. Says, I'll drive you, I'll take you. But of course, there are struggles that come with having witnessed so much tragedy in their homeland. 11% of the families indicated that they were depressed. 62% reported their emotional health had deteriorated or worsened over the last year. Even so, 96% are happy to be in Canada and want to apply for citizenship. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. An Nanaimo man is talking to Global News tonight about his near-miraculous survival from a heart attack, thanks to where he was at the time. Earl Morris was attending a first aid class with St. John Ambulance when he blacked out. Luckily for him, his instructor was a first responder and the building had an automated external defibrillator and oxygen. Still, Morris was shocked nine times before being rushed to the hospital. Well, basically they saved my life. I mean, uh, we wouldn't be here talking if I wasn't at the course and had the experience of the people around me that I did. I mean, they, they saved my life. Morris now has a pacemaker to deal with any potential problems in the future. Lucky man. What an amazing coincidence. Yeah. Drivers on a Georgia highway were stunned to see a U.S. military plane drop out of the sky right in front of them. The C-130 transport plane with nine people on board had recently undergone repairs. And as Gabe Gutierrez reports, the flight's final moments were captured on video. This surveillance video captured the moments the cargo plane plummeted to the ground. And it went all the way on its back, flat on its back, and went down to the ground. Boom. Everything was in slow motion. It just disappeared behind the tree line. You saw it go nose down, and the explosion came. A fireball went up. That's when kind of knew something was real, but it still didn't seem real. The fiery crash could be seen for miles. Highway 21 and Grocery Road, there lies a military jet crash across both lanes of the road. Thick black smoke billowing near Savannah, Georgia's airport. The wreckage scattered across a busy highway. There were no cars hit in this crash. It is an absolute miracle uh, at that time of day uh, in that intersection. The C-130 Hercules plane from the 156 airlift wing out of Puerto Rico took off around 11.30 this morning, bound for Arizona. Eyewitnesses say its nose shot up shortly after takeoff before it came crashing down. James Levine says his car was just 25 yards away. It looked like it was stalling out, and then it started just free-falling backwards and crashed in the middle of 21, and it was like a huge ball of fire and a huge explosion. It's been a particularly deadly period for military aviation. In the first week of April, here in the United States, three crashes left seven people dead. Tonight, investigators are trying to find out what caused this crash, but so far, few answers. Well, just two weeks after an engine blew up on a Southwest Airlines flight, shattering a window and killing a passenger, another Southwest flight has had a window problem. A photo showing a cracked window on a flight from Chicago to New Jersey. The plane made an unscheduled landing in Cleveland. 
There are no reported injuries. We are getting a dramatic first-hand look today. At the moment, officers burst into the room of the Las Vegas massacre shooter last October. Body cam footage has been released, showing officers clearing the gunman's Mandalay Bay suite. They burst in shortly after the shooter had taken his own life. Stephen Paddock was responsible for killing 58 people who were attending a country music festival there. At least part of the mystery has been solved in that gruesome case of a man's body found in the wall of a downtown Calgary shopping mall. Police now say the man crawled into the wall of a women's washroom on his own last Friday night. It's believed he climbed on top of a partial wall, removed a vent cover, and then climbed inside the wall where he became stuck and died. They're not commenting on his motivation for climbing into the wall or on the exact cause of death. Rapper Kanye West is doing some frantic damage control after making some explosive comments about slavery days after declaring his support for Donald Trump. When you hear about slavery for 400 years, for 400 years, that sounds like a choice. <laughs> like, you was there for 400 years and it's all of y'all? You know, like... West comments like, on TMZ we're, Live we're even appeared to shock the host, and TMZ producer Van Lathan didn't hold back in his response. The rest of us in society have to deal with these threats to our lives. We have to deal with the marginalization that has come from the 400 years of slavery that you said for our people was a choice. Frankly, I'm disappointed, I'm appalled, and brother, I am unbelievably hurt by the fact that you have morphed into something, to me, that's not real. West has been taking a lot of heat from African-American leaders and people of all backgrounds. He says his words are being misinterpreted, and he meant that black people are being mentally enslaved. In Health Matters tonight, a new study says not only is a sauna relaxing, it could also lower your risk of stroke. Research done in Finland, where many homes have a sauna, shows that people who take a sauna four to seven times a week are 60% less likely to have a stroke. They believe saunas lower blood pressure. One caveat, experts say saunas might not be good for those with unstable angina or who have had a recent heart attack. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, the great outdoors is what draws people to the west coast of Vancouver Island, but one man is responsible for making it more accessible. He's a local known simply as Oyster Jim. And he's the driving force behind the newly refurbished Wild Pacific Trail near Euclid. Kylie Stanton explains his impact on the local economy. Crashing waves meet the black rock, and in a word, it's wild. The energy, the noise, the surf. Guys, wicked. But this trail, where the Pacific Ocean ends and Western Canada begins, isn't so much about a place. It's about people. Sure is. With big dreams. I'm very fortunate to be a somewhat of an artist and have a palette like this. Oyster Jim's idea for the Wild Pacific Trail was first inspired back in 1980 when he was exploring the area for coastal fishing holes. But it would be another 15 years before he would finally see his vision come to life. This is the whole thing. A project that's still a work in progress. I design, layout the trail and oversee construction and now it's just locating potential and then going in and exposing it. 
The result is a largely handmade eight-kilometer stretch through the rugged terrain under the canopy of a rainforest. Views like this at every turn. And with more than one million visitors each year, it seems the secret is out. We encounter people from all over the world. It's a visceral experience for them when they see gigantic waves that they can't even fathom hitting the cliffs and exploding into the air. It's uh, an amazing experience for most people, something that they weren't really expecting. The same can be said about the town itself that's often in Tofino's shadow. I think Nukulit is that little gem that people are finding. Now it's basking in the newfound popularity. It's different and we're enhancing what we have here and I think the Wild Pacific Trail has more than showcased what we have in Nukulit. Now we're entering the loop now. And you but none of it would have been possible if it weren't for Oyster Jim. We're users and takers and he's a giver and a you know contributor and citizen, community-minded, and good for him. With drive and determination, he's turned his dream into a masterpiece for the world to enjoy. Oh, it's thrill of a lifetime. <laughs> Kylie Stanton, Global News, you clueless. What a great character. Hey, if this was Vancouver, the first people who would come to mind would be the UBC engineers, but we'll check into Toronto's hanging car mystery right after the forecast. Those crazy engineers, know, right? or whoever it was. All right, let's uh, head back to Prospect Point, where Christy Gordon is enjoying a patio day at work. Christy? Yes, well, I'm inside now. I couldn't get enough of the inside here. The decor really is quite spectacular, but you're right. It is patio weather, and the patio is packed right now. Let's show you the forecast. We'll talk a little bit more about the renovation here. Tomorrow, we are going to see a little bit more cloud cover. It won't disturb things too much. Still a beautiful day. Highs between 17 and 21 degrees across the region. Now, we do have a system that's going to push into the north coast. Rain for you. Showers towards the end of the day and through the central interior, and that's why you can see across the south we'll start to see that cloud cover push in and it does mean that we will see some rain on Friday so not quite in the morning but later in the day on Friday we'll certainly see uh, rain so you may need your umbrella tomorrow everyone north coast certainly you will showers as I mentioned through the afternoon hours for the central interior and down through the south we will see some cloud cover mainly later on in the day beautiful temperatures though as you can see there uh, highs between 17 21 degrees across the region and there's your five-day forecast everyone as i was mentioning a chance of showers but things rebound over the weekend that chance of showers on sunday by the way is only a slight chance i'm hoping to refine that before we get there nancy stibbert here with me she's the ceo of the capilano group of uh companies thank you so much for having us here thank now you thank okay. you for coming well it's a beautiful venue tell us why the need for the renovation well it it was really in need it had been sitting uh looking a bit sad for about the last 20 or 30 years and uh, as owners of Capuana Suspension Bridge we're very interested in uh, locations with a history. This has a very interesting history starting way back in 1888 so we thought this is a perfect match for us so we decided to take it on and make it a beautiful thing once again as it was in the past. And you sure have. I mean, there's beautiful West Coast design in this building. It is indeed. We, we try to use a lot of uh, natural materials, a lot of fir, a lot of cedar, a lot of natural stone. And of course, as you can see, we have windows from top to bottom everywhere to enjoy these fabulous views. Watch the world go by. Our beautiful deck, 130 seats. 
watching uh, the cruise ships or charter planes going by, all that sort of thing. Well, I can imagine myself going for a run in Stanley Park, coming here for a beer afterwards. This is beautiful. Thank you so much again for having us, Nancy. Thank you for being here. Thank you. And we have about patio weather this weekend, you two. So maybe it's time to come check out uh, Prospect Point new renovation. I think it is. Thank you, Christy. Be disappointed uh, if you don't indulge while you're out there. <laughs> All right. Uh, Toronto police are investigating a stunt that should look pretty familiar to anyone who's lived in Vancouver for a while. This is the site that distracted drivers during the morning rush. The shell of a car dangling from a cable off a city bridge. Police cordoned off the area and brought the car down. Now at first, police thought it was part of a movie shoot, but now they say it appears it was just a prank, and they're trying to figure out who was behind it. We have our suspicions. <laughs> well, who knows if it's the engineers or not? I guess you we'll know, find out. You know something? I, I thought about that one day. We haven't seen, or is it just me, a lot of engineer pranks in no. recent years? No, it seems not? to have settled no, down. I don't think so. Yeah, they've, they've settled down quite a bit. Um, listen, before we move on, Squire's oh, here now, as obviously you know. We need to talk about McHappy Day. Because these are, this is the hardest working group of people in the world, people yeah. who work at McDonald's, and you were there today. Yeah, it's not me, but they let Jay Durant and uh, Michael Newman there, myself, Sonia Diol, Jordan Armstrong, and uh, folks from CKNW, and all, wow. all sorts, <laughs> all fell for Make Happy Day. Oh, my goodness. Of course, all the money uh, raised from um, proceeds from McCafe products, from Big Macs, from Happy Meals, going to Ronald McDonald House and other children, uh, char- children's charities. And, and in, in further proof that making burgers is an acquired skill, we have to revisit a very special McCafe oh. Day moment with Sophie. You didn't know we were going to no, do I this. <laughs> but here we go. Here's Sophie trying to make the Big Mac. No, wait, like that? Boom. Yeah. That's not right. No, no, no. And just uh, flip it over. Oh, wait. <laughs> wait. Okay. I'll tell you what. My fault. That is I'll a tragedy. Jay and Michael were very understanding. You did your best. I don't want to throw the new guy under the bus, but Michael started it. <laughs> Is, isn't, like, isn't the bun you had on the outside supposed to be the one in the middle or something? See, yeah. We, we, it was a team effort. Jay was supervising. Michael was putting the buns down, and he put the buns down in the wrong order, what? and it just it got off to a rocky start. Well, it all starts with management, so yeah. Jay is the... Durant. Yeah. It's Durant. It's Durant's fault yeah. at the end of it. Anyway, thanks to everybody who put up yeah. with the global crew out there yeah. today, for sure. Thank you, and thanks all for uh, donating as well. That was yeah. cool that you're delivering food, though. They do that now. I didn't really. Know yeah. It's been a while. So you can actually order a Big Mac with no meat. I saw that on the kiosk. They also have the self-order kiosk thing. The salad mac, the big, oh. the big salad. Just get a salad then. What's the point? Less it's saturated just... fat. Wow. Okay. Anyway, you need the meat. Uh, okay. I want to talk about the Vegas Golden Knights, or as their players like to refer to themselves, the Vegas Golden Misfits. The players that their old teams didn't want anymore. They have a chance tonight to put a stranglehold on yet another series. This time, of course, with San Jose, they already swept out the L.A. Kings. A win in Vegas will be up 3-1 with Game 5 at home. The big key to the Golden Knights, well, it's really two things. Their relentless speed, they were way faster than L.A., and they're giving the Sharks problems as well. But more so, the play of their netminder, Marc-Andre Fleury. In the playoffs this year, 6-1 with three shutouts. 
He, of course, is a former Stanley Cup champion with Pittsburgh. He used to have the playoff yips. That's why Pittsburgh allowed him to go to Vegas, but no more, it seems. All right, off to Boston, game two, Lightning and Bruins. What is going on here? Up ahead. Point out there. Matt Grelchuk. Up. Oh. Andre Palat. Take another look here. Just turn and thought he still had the puck. No, he doesn't. Palat has it and it's 1-0. And then Palat will score again a minute 32 later. That's a nice tip on the Victor Hedman shot right there. Very deft. That's hockey hockey. Uh, that made it 2 nothing for Tampa Bay. Uh, Patrice Bergeron gets one, though, on the power play. And I do believe this is Pedro Martinez dancing over this goal. Wait for it. Cue Pedro. <laughs> Help the uh, Red Sox break the Babe Ruth first in 2004. Another chance and another goal. Anthony Sorelli, his first playoff goal. They're late in the third, and that 3-1 lead is holding up for Tampa Bay. Now it's 4-1, apparently. Okay, this hit by Tom Wilson on Zach Aston Reese of the Penguins has resulted in a three-game suspension for Wilson. The NHL says he made the head the main point of contact by elevating himself into the hit. Aston Reese broke his jaw, suffered a concussion, and Wilson laughed at him. That's poor form. The Pens thought Wilson should have been suspended in game two when he hit Brian Dumoulin, but he wasn't, and there was no penalty on this play. An issue, uncharacteristically walking Marcus Stroman has been struggling so far this year for the Blue Jays. Afternoon game in Minnesota, and the struggles continue. Eddie Rosario with the uh, solo shot, 4-0 the final, and 4-0 for Minnesota. 0-4 is now the record for Stroman. It's kind of like a little weak... It's kind of like a Little League World Series before the Little League World Series. It's being held in our city this week, a tournament that features some of those powerhouse organizations from Taiwan and Japan that have had their glory moments, not like me, though, on the big stage. They're some of Taiwan's best Little Leaguers, and they're taking to the diamond this week in the Vancouver International Little League Classic a baseball cultural exchange that goes well beyond the base paths for these 11 and 12 year olds. A lot of them haven't left the mainland and so this is their first experience outside of, uh, of Asia for sure and uh, everywhere we go just you know driving here we drove two blocks and they couldn't stop looking out the window and talking about this and so it's it's a real eye-opener for them and uh, you can tell they're just so excited. Everyone's excited because when it comes to the world of Little League Baseball, there's two powerhouse countries that always seem to dominate, Taiwan and Japan. The Taiwanese have won a staggering 17 titles, Japan 11. On the ground is short, wrong guy to hit it to. Japan is your Little League World Series champion. That's what makes this tournament so special. For the first time in Canadian Little League history, Canada will host four-time World Series champion Kitasuna of Tokyo, Japan. For the Asahi Baseball Association in Vancouver, the Diamond's a direct ancestral link to the Asahi culture many kids are just discovering. For, um, for our side, on our side, definitely for the Japanese bond. Right, that Japanese, many of our players have uh, Japanese ancestry, right? To understand, to be able to bond with that, that's going to be one thing. The other thing is pure baseball. No translation required. Just learning from the best at the Little League level. How they practice, how they play, 
and why they're always so darn good. It seems like it's moving a lot faster than our typical practice. Uh, there's not a lot of standing around, and everybody is engaged. You know, I think when you get to a higher level, um, you know, you get to practice at a higher level. And these guys, you can see they're practicing at a very high level. The X factors, right? Um, how they, the spirit, how they run on the field, off the field, how they line up the gloves, those kind of things that we don't really have here in North America. And that's what we want our boys to see for sure. Liverpool-Roma, second leg. Liverpool won the first leg 5-2, so Roma needs an amazing comeback. Can they get one? Well, this doesn't help. Sadio Mane in the ninth minute in. But Roma was determined to make a game of it. Dzeko! Yes! Okay, on aggregate now it's 7-4. And then uh, Rajan Angolian would score two. This and a PK. That got it to 7-6, but they ran out of clock. And Liverpool will meet Real Madrid May 26th in the Champions League final. There you go. All right. Thank you, Squire. You're welcome. Now, I was out at McHappy Day, and you were also out on your bike. That's right. While you guys were slinging burgers, I was trying to keep up with a bunch of high school students embarking on a cross-country bike trip. Guys, they started their journey Monday in Victoria, stayed overnight in Port Coquitlam, and picked it up again this morning, cheered on by all the students at Ecole des Pionniers. Forgive the terrible camera work, that's me on the bike right now. The students earn credits all year through physical activity and active living, and the kids with the most credits take turns covering the 2,700 kilometer trip finishing mid-June out in PEI. Wow. So bon voyage, kids. So you were getting exercise this morning. Just that little, just from Poco <laughs> out to Mission, that was it. That's a ride. That was still a good ride. Okay. Thanks, guys. All right, let's check in with Jay Durant now, my Big Mac partner, with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Yeah, we'll give you a couple extra training sessions, so <laughs> we'll get you sorted out. Wrap oh, it up with the, yeah, big, there they are, Big Jeans Day event coming up tomorrow. Yes, they have actually been the faces uh, for a while of jeans, mm. and not just because Sedin's rhymes with jeans perfectly. <laughs> it's because they are the right men for the job. Here is something the Sedin's did not retire from, Jeans Day and supporting Children's Hospital. It's been something they have done pretty much ever since they arrived in Vancouver. It started when the first time we, we went there with the, with the team and uh, just see the, the family and families and, and what, what they go through on a daily basis and uh, how fortunate we are that we have uh, we can do what we love and uh, we have, for the most part, healthy kids. Right away it became close to our heart and, and when you have kids too, I think you realize uh, how important this place is. Important enough that the Sedins are once again the faces of Jeans Day where sales of buttons and pins have raised $21 million over the years for Children's Hospital. I think when you have a recognizable name and face like the Sedin brothers have, it draws attention, and with that attention comes awareness of the event, and with that comes uh, the generosity of donations. So it's a huge impact for us. Of course, the Sedin's generosity is well documented. Eight years ago, they donated $1.5 million to Children's. And the, a big part of this decision we made when we donated money was that it's, it serves the whole pro- province. It really helps everyone, and that's, uh, that's what makes it special. For Daniel, not only are two of his kids born at Children's Hospital, the experience of visiting there has always been uplifting. When you come here, like I said, it's, it's, always, uh, it's always amazing how, how upbeat they are and, and uh, 
doesn't matter what what they're going through. They're, it's like I said, it's always a smile on their face, and, and uh, yeah, they're they're amazing people.